Welcome to another episode of the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. This week, I have an extra special guest, a familiar name to many listeners. I'm speaking with former Melbourne Demons player, Glenn Lovett. After a successful football career, Glenn moved into the international sports marketing industry. And over the last two decades, Glenn has a very impressive resume working in Australia, London and New York, closely working with clients from the EPL, NFL, NBA and others. Of course, I touch on AFL in the discussion, but the majority of our discussion this episode is on the international sports industry and what's going on around the world. I recorded this episode when I was in New York recently in November, and we recorded at his office in Manhattan, downtown in the financial district. We talk about where it all began for Glenn back in the days playing football and his progression into his next career. That's from on-field to off-field. So we talk about the NBA, the NFL, the EPL, the IPL, and of course, everyone's favorite, AFLX. At the time of recording... It was early November, and the NBA season had only just begun. Many, I'm sure, remember this, but the NBA at the time had a bit going on during this. For those that aren't aware, uh, back in October of 2019, Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, well, he tweeted out an image which voiced his support for the ongoing protests in Hong Kong. In the days following, Chinese leagues, sponsors, partners, uh, many cut ties with the Rockets and the NBA. So I just wanted to provide that context for those that weren't aware of this, as we don't deep dive into it, but we do touch on it. Also, another at another point in the episode, I talk about Essendon Football Club's venture into esports. Well, since the recording, I believe that that team, that esports team, has since wound up. So uh, we touch on that, and I certainly think it's a, an interesting industry, and it doesn't mean there won't be new entrants coming into esports. Sometimes in life, it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. As always, the usual disclaimers. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not qualify as financial advice. And people may hold positions in the companies discussed. Show notes will be available on the Six Park website. Sixpark.com.au S-I-X-P-A-R-K.com.au Before I get into the episode, I'd like to give a special shout out to a friend of the show, former guest, former Australian cricketer, Ed Cowan. If you're not aware, he has his own podcast now called Scaling Up, and I'd like to mention it uh, because, one, I think it's fantastic, and as I only do one episode a month, if you're looking for something that isn't either a Mamma Mia podcast or a true crime podcast, then up until now, you've probably been at a loss. Look no further now that Ed's podcast is out, so be sure to check it out after you finish this episode, but please stick with me for now. Okay, with no further updates, history lessons, or podcast recommendations, here's my discussion with Glenn Lovett. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Glenn, fantastic AFL career, over 100 games of best and fairest winner at the D's, vice captain. And on top of this, you have transitioned successfully into your next career. And that's what we want to talk about today. That's the international sports marketing industry. Let's start where it all began. And that's back where, when you were playing at the D's, playing football, how did you prepare for this transition? As it was something that you worked out for many years. 
Yeah, I think Ted, I was lucky in a way that uh, we were sort of semi-pro when I played, so everyone pretty much worked. You know, we studied and worked. And well, you, you say you're lucky because those were times when they're not players aren't paid as well as they are now. T- true, true. But um, I sort of look back and think that the experience I gained, even though we were sort of worked at 75 80%, being able to have that experience meant that coming out of footy, I was able to jump into the workforce much easier where it's more difficult now, right? So the guys uh, are full-time from a football perspective. It works better, I'm sure. And I, I reckon I would have had a longer career had I been had we been full-time. But on the other hand, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't had that experience of being a semi-pro footballer. For the chat, I want to break the discussion up into geography first and, and some of these leagues that we've spoken about, kind of a macro look at what's going on around the world. And then zoom into some of these individual sports and um, speak about the trends that you're seeing around the world. This podcast, the audience is predominantly Australian, as am I and as are you. So uh, a bit of a home country bias here. What do we do well in Australia and what can we still work on? Yeah, look, I think generally we're we're best in in class in many things, right? We're uh, a sporting nation. We're proud of, you know, we, we punch above our weight pretty much. And the one thing I've seen, I've been away 13, 14 years now, um, is that the people that come to Europe and come to the US to learn are Australians. Uh, and they want to understand what's going on in the world and take that back and get better. Um, the sort of on-field piece around sports medicine and player performance and all that, there's a lot of Aussies working all over the world. You know, we are best in class there. I think commercially as well, you know, we're incredibly competitive markets. So you think about the US, Right, they have a thing called a DMA here. So, and what's that stand for? Um, direct marketing area, basically. And you can't market outside that area. So essentially what you're saying is if you're the New York Giants and New York Jets, you have the New York DMA, and that's where you can advertise and market, and that's your area. No one else can come in there. But the NFL advertises, obviously, across the country and internationally. But you think about Melbourne and Sydney, have in, in terms of number of teams, the most competitive sports markets in the world. So in the NFL, basically New York DMA is 25 million plus, which is essentially Australia, and they have two teams, yeah. right? You think about all the teams in Melbourne in AFL, it's incredible. Yeah, fair to say Collingwood's DMA is outside of the suburb of Collingwood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember years ago when um, people were talking about the Australian film industry and how well that was and all these great people doing really well across the industry... And it was because small market, very competitive, you learn to work on smaller budgets, things things like that. You become really adept at that. And that's what's the same in sport as well. We don't have the budgets that, of course, the NFL and you know, even football teams in Europe have. So we make much better use of smaller budgets and we want to learn and develop, right? It's not to say we're perfect. There's certainly things that Aussies can do well. But what, what again, I like you know, is that I'm actually doing... A, um, a, a workshop or a session on Thursday with Australian, uh, with uh, AFL Coaches Association. A few of the assistant coaches are coming over. Ah. And again, they're here trying to learn about best practice and understand what's going on and take that back. And I see that mostly from Australians, not other countries. Ah, okay. So let's transition to the US yep. where, where you're based here in New York. What's going on in the industry here uh, compared to back home? <clears throat> well, I, mean, I, th- I think... Um, just generally, it's it's a huge time of change with with media, right? Um, you've got you know, new OTT platforms like DAZN. 
you've got you know Disney and ESPN setting up these platforms as well. So it's, it's moving to a digital world. I was actually looking at all our um, so Nielsen we measure audiences, right? We do TV ratings, and looking at all the TV ratings year on year, and they're pretty much all down for all the major sports because people aren't watching on on broadcast as much as they were. They're going to different platforms, so there's a huge amount of sort of clutter. And you know, trying to grab the attention of fans. How do you how do you keep that attention, particularly younger people? Um, and of course, advertisers and brands are asking the question. All of a sudden, you know, I'm spending a huge amount of money on the NFL. My audience is declining. What the hell do I do? So what we're trying to do is help the industry measure the value of those fans wherever they're watching it, right? And try and help them connect to that because the world's just so much more fragmented now. Uh, and the other things like you know women, uh, women's sport. Obviously, I know we're going to talk about that. Yeah, which we've done very well in Australia. I would say huge trend uh, internationally. Esports is another thing which is a huge topic of conversation. Yeah, well. and, and we'll get to that one. Yeah. We'll get to that one too. Um, you mentioned the the trend of many the audience going down of, of most sports around the world. Let's have a chat about NBA because that seems to be yep. one that's actually doing the opposite. One of the few, and in particular, Ben Simmons. Can, yep. can you? Talk about the power of Ben Simmons and what he might be for basketball in Australia and how big he is over here. Yeah, look, listen, NBA is even going down. The, the results we saw on, on TV broadcast, okay. right, year on year. It's only, the season's only started, just started. So we'll see how that pans out. But I think the beauty of the NBA as an organisation is they're the best in the world at marketing to youth. Uh, and, and the NBA brand... And their athletes, they use incredibly well, well to do that. It's in, you know, really powerful. So Ben Simmons and others like him, LeBron and others, um, focus on connecting to their fan base through social media and brands are attaching there more and more. So the NBA, what, what they do is they leverage the power of the athlete to benefit their brand, right? They're, they're also the, the best US uh, rights holder or league to actually go international. The NFL, uh, MLB, NHL to an extent have tried it. But the NBA has been most successful in doing that. But these these young athletes, they're celebrities, right? So Ben Simmons, he's one of many over here. He's a young up and coming star, and um, there's so many of them here. Obviously, there's the Aussie connection, so he's hu- huge back home. Um, if he continues to perform well, which I'm sure he will over years, he's an incredibly powerful marketing vehicle. You touched on the success of the NBA and and. Part of that is, I guess there's a bit of a segue there with what's been going on in China recently. And I know, I know there's sensitivities down yep. there, so I don't want to go down a political rabbit hole. But yeah. can, can we talk about the importance of China, both to NBA and other sp- yeah. sports around the world? It's huge. I mean, you can't underestimate it, right? So sort of going back to that point around sort of new media channels, the world is international now. So every major uh, league and team is looking at building their global audience yeah, including the AFL, who's moving into China and India and other markets as well. To, to, you know, because sponsors, rights holders, fans are looking for more global sports and they now have access to it. With the NBA, they, they have done the best job with China. They were there 25, 30 plus years ago. They've invested heavily in that market and have reaped the benefits. And if you think about all our clients uh, globally, both rights holders and brands, if they're in their home market, that's the number one priority. If they think internationally, it's China and Was, it's India. Did NBA go there first? One of the first to go there. Who, yeah. el- who else has gone over there? Well, well, I think everyone's gone over there, right? So yeah. the, the Premier League's there now. Like 
you know, every major league and big teams or franchises are looking at China as a market. The NBA has led the way and they've reaped the benefits. They've also done had a great strategy of athletes playing for them as well uh, in some of their teams, so particularly with the Houston Rockets. And without going into anything political, yeah, yeah. you know, the NBA is an organisation, again, great organisation, really well. Adam Silver is an incredible leader, very well respected. Unfortunate situation, that's where as an organisation you just need to make sure you're aligned in terms of your values and the way you communicate because that, you know, obviously what he believed personally um, has had a major effect on that organisation and potentially the revenue out of China as a market. And for those that may not be familiar with this story, uh, it was pretty much one tweet yep. was caused this whole geopolitical issue. And it just shows the dangers. You, know, the, you've, you mentioned the opportunities that social media presents for individuals and their brands, but it also leaves huge exposures for leagues in, the, in terms of them being brought down and the game being brought into disrepute. Yeah. Let's let's pivot from from China across to um, something you've already mentioned, and that that's esports. Yeah, is the hype real? And uh, can you give us a bit of insight as to what's going on in that industry? Yeah, so we we've got a we do a lot of work in in esports. So we work for um, all the majors work for Twitch as a platform as well. So and for those that I only learned about yeah. Twitch recently. Yeah, how, how do you describe Twitch? It's like a social media platform for gamers. That's... It is. It's where you watch gamers play, yeah. basically. And, and it's interactive, right? So the, the game itself, uh, you can comment. The, the commentators, they do a really good job of that. And what we're actually seeing because of that, it's being infused in, into more of TV broadcasts. You're going to see um, Twitch, which is owned by Amazon, have an influence on the way sport is broadcast across other platforms because it is so interactive. But if you want to watch esports, if you want to, you know, target a, an esports fan or gamer, that is the platform you go to. And can you give us? Oh, I haven't given you any, any heads up here. Yeah. Some, some numbers of kind of what what you're seeing on Twitch as a platform compared to. Like, yeah. So look, I, I won't give you specific numbers, yeah. but they are comparable to some of the major um, sports in terms of TV broadcasts. So we had some numbers that looked at League of Legends, right, which is a massive um, gaming platform or eSport, and uh, some of those uh, events had a similar audience uh, to NBA playoff games. So up in that realm. Uh, and again, truly global, right? You can watch it from anywhere. It's interactive. Um, and it's only, it's, it's only going to increase in sort of value, attraction, engagement moving forward. The challenge with that industry is it's, it's still a bit of the wild, wild west, Yep. Right? There's going to be winners and losers, and it's still working itself out a little bit. You know, we've seen recently some of the teams and leagues folding. So a bit, a bit like any major sport, or that um, the ones with the right platform will succeed in the longer term. Are traditional yep. sporting teams and industries yep. getting into eSport leagues? Because I know back home, Essendon, yep. uh, the Bombers <clears> of probably the first ones in Australia that I'm aware of to have a crack at, at having their own team, which they're still going right now. Who's doing it well around the world? Yeah, so you've, I think you've got your major NBA teams over here. They led the way again because they're going after that youth audience. I think it was the 76ers actually that were the first or one of the first into the mix. Um, I'd say football in Europe 
is doing it well. So you know the major teams are definitely either have invested or partnered or even providing sort of their f- on-field football player performance services to esports teams. I think West Ham has done something like that as well. Because you think about um, an esports team, essentially those kids, some of them aren't kids, by the way, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, need to be trained like athletes. Even though they're sitting in a, in a chair, they need to look after themselves. They need to eat the right food. They need to be alert. You know, so being fit and healthy can actually have huge benefits on them. So, you know, a, a top football team has that capability. So we're seeing more partnerships of them bringing that capability to help athletes and teams succeed. This episode is brought to you by Six Park. Six Park provides professional investment management to clients all across Australia. Visit sixpark.com.au and take the free online risk assessment to see the internationally diversified portfolio that would be recommended for you. Six Park uses ETFs, exchange-traded funds issued by Vanguard, iShares, State Street, Vanek, and BetaShares to build portfolios for clients over Australian and international shares, property, bonds, and infrastructure. To find out more, including to sign up to receive the free Six Park monthly performance updates, go to sixpark.com.au, S-I-X-P-A-R-K.com.au. Now back to my discussion with Glenn. Let's go back to um, AFL and their expansion overseas, in particular into China. For what it's worth, I actually played in the first game in New Zealand. Okay. And... uh, (laughs) I'm going to pump myself up here because yeah, yeah. this didn't happen too many times, but I actually got three Brownlow votes. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. know. <laughs> and, and for a period of time, I could say that I had the most Brownlow votes in the history of the game outside of Australia. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've got a couple of questions that I want to touch on here, about, apart from just pumping myself up. Um, first one is, uh, have you got a view on um, AFL and pushing into China is this something that you know it, it might be a 25 to 30 yeah. year story like what we're seeing with the NBA in, in China well listen it is so I'd say every if you're a major league or team in the world today no matter what market you're in you're competing in a global marketplace right so you have to look outside for the longer term benefit of the game um, so it's the right strategy by the AFL and you need to take a long term view it takes time I think I saw some numbers this week around the grand final, I think it was. And I think the China number was actually bigger than, in terms of watching, bigger than the, the Australian number or something. to don't, don't quote me on that, but the numbers were good. I won't quote you, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's recorded. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, the, the story was good, yeah. right? And, and it, it is going to take time, right? Because you know, getting people hooked and interested um, not only a broadcast requires investment, it requires... The reason... Um, the NBA succeeded in China is they've played games there, they've done preseason tours there, they've had player appearances there, they've marketed there, they've had great TV um, distribution deals. There's a whole bunch of things that you need to do, and it's taken time. Yeah, so it's not going to happen overnight. And this this story that we've seen with the NBA is very similar to the story of you know this the Swans pushing into Sydney. What they're now doing, the AFL's now doing with. Um, GWS and, and the Gold Coast in that it took a long time for the Swans to become the club that they are now. Yep. Um, as opposed to just building it and they will come. Can you touch on AFLX? And I, I know that AFLX is, you know, a long way, way back in Australia, yep. but 
why why might the AFL, in your opinion, yep. um, be going down that path? Is it to do with China or is it to do with youth? No. I, don't, I don't want to put any answers. No, so, so generally, when I spoke before, your sort of women's sport and women in sport has, has been a major trend uh, for, for, you know, re- recent trend, but it's been improve, increasing over time. And, you know, all the, all the major sports are looking to improve and increase their audience. And if you think about if you're an advertiser or a sponsor, you, know, you want to capture not just the male audience, you want to capture more of a female audience. So every sport in the world is trying to be more relevant to women and taking the women's game more seriously. So we're working with a bunch of um, rights holders, you know, FIFA, um, UEFA, Premier League, NFL, you name it, they're, they're all doing much more in women's sport. And actually what the AFL's done, we talk about a lot, right? Because they've packaged it up really well the fact that they're creating an audience, you know, the first couple of seasons have been free to get in, looking at expanding who watches and, and you know, a short season, um, the window, you know, before the men's game. There's a whole bunch of things they've done to try and capture attention for that game. It's been a real success story, no doubt about that. And, and we talk about that a lot as a, a case study because it comes up. People are always asking, what can we learn from other sports around the world in what they've done with the women's game. Okay, well, that's, that's good to note. Out of interest, what has the NFL done at a time to, to tap into the, the women's market? Because it's a, it's a sport that I keep an eye on, but having the issue of concussions and, True. and mums yeah, exactly. not well, wanting their kids to play. Yeah, and they've got a sport called um, flag football, right? which is mostly targeted youth and younger kids. But what they're trying to do is make it more attractive to boys and girls as well so you don't get the hits and the bumps you basically you know you carry a ribbon you pull that out it's like tag yeah like touch footy yeah e- exactly right so that's their strategy is it being well received oh, it is look at that level that they do have an issue around health safety there's no doubt about it concussions and all those sorts of things so uh, they're dealing with that generally as a sport but trying to attract sort of uh, women and younger um, participants to that flag football game is the way they're trying to okay. overcome that. Um, co-CEO of Six Park, the business that I'm involved in, he was previously head of innovation of Qantas Loyalty. And we often speak about the Qantas business model and that flying planes is less and less the feature of the, their business compared to, say, things like using their brand for affiliate programs. And how I see football changing is that sponsors, the sponsors add on the jumper, on the, on the yeah. Guernsey is becoming less and less, I guess, valuable, and it's it's more tapping into the the data of, of yep. their supporters. Um, uh, I looked at sporting teams and, and teams like Richmond and Collingwood with like a hundred thousand members, which I know on a global scale isn't huge, but for for Australia, it's it's massive, and how they can provide services for these these sponsors, you know, yep. from, from their members. I think Melbourne Storm now have since moved into um, financial services with mortgage broking. I know it's a long question here, yeah, a, yeah, a big yeah. long run up, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you get to the end. Yeah, right? yeah. Any trends you're seeing in this space in how teams are kind of tapping into the, the data of their supporters? Yeah, so it's a big trend. You know, we, we sort of, at the start of each year, come up with what we believe are the global trends uh, in sport for that year and data and use of data is one of those. So every league and team is trying to capture as much data and understand their fan, fan base as possible to deliver them extra value 
sell them at you know, additional products and services and then attach brands and brand partnerships to that. And some of our clients are doing that really well, like Man City is a good example, investing heavily in CRM and using that data to market their club and their brand and their players to their fans, but also help their sponsors achieve greater value as well. If you go back to sort of our business 10, 15 years ago, it was very much about eyeballs and media value, right? So, and some brands made their decisions on that data point only. There's still some that do that now, but increasingly it's not enough. So it's, you know, how many products do I sell? What, what's it done to my brand engagement? You know, what do people perceive about my brand? What additional products and services can I sell? whole bunch of different factors, right? So the industry is much more sophisticated in how they measure and value return. We've spoken about Australia, we've spoken about the US, and we've spoken about China. Are there any other leagues around the world that are actually doing some pretty cool, interesting things? I probably haven't given you much heads up yeah. there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Look, we, uh, it's funny, in my travels, everyone's fascinated with the US market. Right, what's going on there? What can I learn? And because it's such a big market, because they have so much money, they, they do do things well in, in many respects. But there are other leagues, like the, the Premier League, right, in, in, in the UK, was the first to capture the international audience from a broadcast perspective. So you, even sitting here, right, they've done an amazing job with the, U, the US, great partnership with NBC. You know, Saturday morning is Premier League here. And sometimes you'll find, like we sit here in New York, so maybe it's different in other parts of the country, but often you'll meet people that say, yeah, I kind of follow US, US sports, and these Americans, but actually I'm a Premier League fan. Um, so they've done an excellent job, and a lot of the teams there are doing a much better job of capturing that uh, fan, you know, global fan base. Man United, right? You know, they've had five or six years of um, a lack of success, and I'm a Man United f- uh, fan, and it hurts me. <laughs> But they continue to grow commercially year on year and, and exceed records. Look, India is a crazy market. You look at what the IPL did right years ago, like really suited that market really well. But the blend of sort of Bollywood and entertainment and, you know, cricket in a shorter format, lots to learn from that. And, and I would say almost to a sport, every sport internationally is looking at changing, either changing the format or creating new formats, you know, FLX, other things, some work, some don't, to sort of retain audience but grow their audience. You know, younger fans, women, as I mentioned before, as well. So there's lots of examples of that. And Glenn, um, one last question about a large industry yep. is college sport, yep. in particular college football. Can you tell us a bit about that and where you see that being in, say, 10 or 20 years? Because... For uh, sporting industries all around the world, it's, it's all about money. Here's a this weird case study where players aren't paid. Well, I mean, it's, it's firstly, it's an unbelievable sport, really is. And, and Saturdays here, uh, at this time of year, college football. So you walk into any bar in New York City, it's full of you know people watching college, massive. And you know you'll often find a lot of fans that follow their college football team, not an NFL team. So. I knew it was big until I moved here. I didn't understand the power as much. They are money-making machines and they make the money for the college, right? So if you go to any of these campuses, the facilities are absolutely incredible and out of this world. Um, But there was a decision made 
last week about starting to pay players and allow them to get a commercial return, which was inevitable, I think, because... Are they going to have salary caps and... I, look, I don't know, Okay, t- to be honest, but there was a, a sort of a landmark decision really to say, actually, the NCAA, we will start to give the players a share of the commercial return. And you, you think about it because, you know, often it's like AFL, right? There's only a certain percentage of, of players that actually make it, right? And the US is a much bigger market. So if you want to play NFL, right, and you come from college, there's only 32 teams. The odds of you making it are really low. And if you've given three, four years of you know blood, sweat and tears, you think about the injuries, and you've got... 100,000 plus at your stadium and, and the college is making an absolute fortune and you you sacrifice everything, you walk away and you're not paid a cent, it just doesn't, it's not right. It's not right and they've recognised that, right? So I think you'll see over time, you know, more and more of a return going back to the players because it should, right? They should be able to walk out with some sense of security for their future. Well, it's going to be really easy to, to watch not just from a, an industry-wide perspective, but how much some of these players might be paid because um, we have seen, albeit a small portion of Australians, move into yeah. college football. Um, it, most recently, Ben Griffiths, I think, is a, a punter at USC. Yeah. Um, and if the salary cap is quite large and, and punters can get quite an attractive salary for you know three, four, five years... Will we see a movement of more players move over if their chances of getting a, a good salary out yeah, of sport? Possibly. Be, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's early days, so we'll yeah. see where it goes, but it's it's definitely heading in the right direction. Glenn, thanks so much for the chat today. If anyone would like to find you on social media, where can they find you? Instagram. Instagram feed. So GE Love It on Instagram. And I'll, I'll post a photo of you and I, Teddy. So. Oh, Glenn. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll make you world famous. Not, oh. not, not really. <laughs> no, no. Glenn, thanks very much thanks, for this. Dave. Good man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks to everyone that listens in. The show recently ticked over 100,000 downloads, which is a huge milestone. Thank you to everyone that's listened in throughout the year and um, told family and friends about the show. This podcast has just been released at the end of 2019, so to everyone that listens in, have a safe and happy Christmas and holiday period. It's the giving season, so why not share the love and give me a five-star ratings on iTunes. Okay, that's it from me, and if you're listening to this and it's no longer Christmas, uh, keep the love going, I'll still take the, uh, the rating. Okay, see you next time on The Richards Report. <laughs>